Open your Bibles to the book of Genesis, chapter 1, and yes, you are welcome that I didn't say Haggai or Habakkuk or any of the hard ones. Like, Genesis is easy. Genesis, chapter 1, verse 1. We're going all the way to the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In verse 2, and now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And some of you, I think at King James might even say brooding on the waters, but hovering, moved on the waters. Father, we give uh, you glory and honor this morning. And, um, And pray that you would just move in our midst. Lord, we are uh, desperate for you. That without you, this is just an academic exercise. And so I pray this morning that your spirit that hovered over the waters will hover over us this morning. We ask for your, uh, your word to be a lamp and a light. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. We had big news this week. Newsweek reported that the universe should not exist. This is what $30 billion in the Large Hadron Collider in the mountains of Switzerland got us. Now, in fairness, I think we, I think we should be cheering these guys on over there. Because they're looking for the, in their, in their words, inappropriately named, unfortunately named, I believe was the word they gave it, God particle. That, that's what they're looking for, the spark of, of creation. And I think we should cheer them on because when they find that, it only confirms, we'll figure out whether the theists or the humanists were right. And every time science has made a step forward, we find out that the deists are right, that God is there. This is what I said, this is what our, our money got for us this week. Um, after performing uh, most precise experiments on antiprotons that have ever been carried out, researchers have discovered a symmetry in nature they say shouldn't be possible. One of the big questions about the universe is how the first matter formed after the Big Bang. Because particles and antiparticles annihilate one another when they come in contact. If they were exactly equal measures of both, the universe wouldn't exist. At least not in the form we see today. As such, there must be an imbalance between particles and antiparticles, even if it is only by the tiniest fraction. But this is not the case. All experiments designed to find this asymmetry have come up blank. This is true of the latest, which were recently carried out at CERN by an international team of researchers. It goes on to say, all of our observations, this is a quote from Christian Smora from Japan, all of our observations find a complete symmetry between matter and antimatter, which is why the universe should not actually exist. Uh, to put it differently, maybe this would be more of our terms, we shouldn't be here wondering why we're not here. Now, this week and next week, I'm going to attempt to cram into a 33-minute time window to answer the questions of the universe. So I'm going to ask for some patience. <laughs> uh, but I, I know that in this room, there are those of you 
young and old, who, if you are intellectually honest, you've thought, maybe I've asked, like, how does it, when science says that the earth was created this way, and Genesis says it was created this way, and they seem incongruent, then is science wrong, or is the Bible wrong? And at its core, that's kind of the bottom line. One or the other is wrong, unless both of them are right. And I want to share with you this morning of, of four views. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to share with you first what, what I think I've broken down to three, and some of you might think of some more, uh, especially you, know, you pastors uh, might think of more. But three essentials that I believe when I look at, when you strip everything away, if, you, if, you, if you're a deist and you believe in God, that there are at least these three things that you have to be able to say, I believe to be intellectually honest, to be congruent in your faith, and to say that, okay, I believe this because if I don't believe this, then it's like uh, theological Jenga, Jesus Jenga. You pull this one out and the whole thing falls. And so these are three of the Jesus Jenga that have to be there for it to not fall apart. One of them is uh, creation ex nihilo. There's your Latin, the beginning and the end of your Latin lesson for this morning. It just simply means out of nothing. That is what we just read, that God created the heavens and the earth and it wasn't that he created it using Play-Doh or clay, and he was literally you know, out of something. He created it, he spoke it out of nothing and into something. The Bible does say that, absolutely says that. I think that you have to believe that it's essential to believe in a literal Adam and a literal Eve. To, to look at the creation account, it's there. To, to say that you believe that it's not a literal Adam and a literal Eve, and that you follow Jesus and you love Jesus, you think he's the son of God, it would be incongruent because Jesus spoke of a literal Adam and a literal Eve. So that is an intellectually dishonest approach. And the third thing is simply the goodness of creation. It was good. That the design is intelligent. That it is, there was a purpose for it. So it's creation ex nihilo, out of nothing. A literal Adam and a literal Eve. And if you don't, even, if you don't believe that, how do you reconcile Romans 5? The first Adam and the last Adam. I, if, if that's not accurate, then I don't even understand salvation, right? And then the goodness of creation, that there was a design. Because the way that the, 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 the science would tell us right now, that one of the incongruencies is that whatever was most powerful won. But that's not what the Bible says about it. So these are three things that are in Scripture that if we look to, and if we're a biblicist, which if there's anything that I hope mostly to be, is a, a biblicist saying that what does the Bible say and then how does it square with the rest of the world? How does, instead of us trying to square the Bible with the rest of the world, we square the rest of the world with, with the Bible. And I want to show you this morning how I believe that that is actually not only possible, that it's true of the creation account and of what science is. And so, by the way, this week, um, just in case you're wondering, most people view this from a secular perspective. I'm going to rephrase that. Most people with a microphone and on the news view this as a creation versus uh, science. A, you're smart versus you're dumb. Like, you are educated versus uneducated. That happened this week in, uh, in Canada when the governor, uh, one of the, I'm, I might need a Canadian translation on her name, uh, Jim and Michelle, because I, uh, is that Payette or Peyote or? Payette, Payette okay. I, I just make sure I got it right. Um, that, that Julie Payette this week uh, was talking about 
global warming. And then she lumps Christians into this big giant of astrologists, of horoscope people. She says that I can't believe we're still debating and questioning whether life was a divine intervention or whether it was coming out of a natural process, let alone, oh my goodness, a random process. Out to the like guffaws and applause of the audience. And then uh, if you're wondering what their prime minister believes, he's celebrated what she said. Justin Trudeau said that we're a government grounded in science and Canadians are people who understand the value of science and knowledge as a foundation for the future of our country, he said. And I am extraordinarily proud of the strength and the story of Governor General Julie Payette. Payette. I'll have that better for second service. Who has never hidden away her passion for science and deep faith. Listen, deep faith that knowledge and research and the truth is a foundation for any free, stable, successful society. They're setting it up as a debate between that you can either believe science or you can believe in God, and there is no middle ground. And I wanted to show you this morning, before I go any further, the things that the Bible teaches us that are actually thousands of years ahead of their time that are completely incongruent with what the scientific community has come to. The Bible states that humans were formed only recently. Science 100% agrees with that. The best human history, they would say, between fifteen and 30,000 years old. By the way, early human, when you hear these early human remains, found whatever, that is famously an inaccurate science of how we know. But again, science says that humans came recently. The Bible says that humans came recently. The Bible teaches the fundamentals of Big Bang cosmology. That is brand new in our world as of 1925 to 27. The phrase was coined in 1945. It was brand new information that the universe came. And by the way, it says it believes in creation ex nihilo, out of nothing. Like the idea of the Big Bang being like there's this little dot that existed in the universe and then that dot created something is an inappropriate look at it because there was no dot, there was no nothing. That's what the Big Bang theory says. That in the beginning, something came out of nothing. That is congruent with what the Bible teaches us. It teaches us for an actual space-time beginning. 1970, Stephen B. Hawking blew everybody's mind when realizing that the universe wasn't created in something that already existed. It was created out of nothing, which meant including space and time were also created. It, the Bible confirms, and we don't have time to show this this morning, this because of 33 minutes, but it expands under the law of thermodynamics. By the way, it shows that uh, one of those laws is the pervasive law of decay, the second law of thermodynamics. By the way, I've learned there's another law, the, the third law of tylodynamics, which is that when Shannon is away, that the, the house goes from decay into decay, from order to disorder. She was out of town all week, and we are literally living in the aftermath of that. Um, Parenthetically, we tried. I cleaned. I swear I cleaned. Guess what my wife spent yesterday morning doing? <laughs> Cleaning. Like, I, I did all that, but it, I just, you know, anyway. Third law of tylodynamics. I can't avoid it. The house goes from order to disorder when she's out of town. By the way, how many, if you were to guess, how many in the scientific community would you guess actually are believers in God? Because if you were to believe the media, it would seem like that's a painfully low number. in the recent Pew form of people from the scientific community believe in a creator. Including, I might add, 96 who won the Nobel Peace Prize in physics are believers. 94 who won the Nobel Peace Prize in chemistry are believers. 
But you wouldn't know that when somebody like Julie Payette or Justin Trudeau or add whichever one, make it look like it's an either or. And the fact of the matter is the reason we don't know that, and we talked about this weeks ago when it comes to confirmation bias, that there are, for the most part, between you and anyone in the media, a 25 to 35-year-old recent college graduate who has control of whatever content is going to get on that news channel, in that website, in that media. And so they're making decisions based on what they believe to be true or not true. And if they believe, which they do, that we, the equivalent of believing in intelligent design is the equivalent of a, an astrologer, they're never going to let that go. So that's why we believe that. We're being told that. And they've only got so much time and space, so they're going to just give you what they want. I'm here to tell you that there are 50% of people in the scientific community, by a recent Pew, you can find it, I'll, I'll post the link afterwards, a Pew research that just, uh, polled 50% of the people in the scientific community that believe that, including Nobel Peace Prize winners, chemistry, physics, because the more they find out, the more it is impossible to explain with it. And that's what I wanted to share with you this morning, that science doesn't take us away from God, it takes us closer to God. Now I'm going to give you this this morning. In this room... I'll bet one of these views is represented. There's five to six views of creation that actually could be considered orthodox. And by orthodox, I mean we're going to the Bible first to say what the Bible says. And there are five to six views that you can look in the scripture and say, this is how it could have gone down and have a reasonable uh, idea that, that that's how it could have been. I'm going to show with you, I'm going to share four of those just for the sake of time. And because between the five to six, some of them bleed over with each other. And so I want to just share those with you. And then I'm going to share with you the one that I think is, that resonates the most, a truth in the scripture with me that, that holds the most water. The first one is one that is most common in America, not necessarily most common around the world. And that is, and I bet in this room if we were to do a show of hands, a lot of you believe that it actually happened in six literal 24-hour days, which makes the, the earth very young. Now, for those of you that think that's impossible, then that's crazy. If you believe that Jesus Christ came, God became man, and rose again from the dead, you believe something actually crazier, right? Once you believe that, it opens up a whole possibility of things that you can believe. So it's, I say that to say that if you believe that, I want you to know that is a respectable belief, and you can look at the scriptures, and you believe that God created heavens and the earth in the seven days, that that is a, you believe that God created, uh, that raised Jesus from the dead, that's just as crazy, right? Because I don't know if you've seen many dead people, that don't happen, right? That's a miracle. And by the way, in the scientific community, what they believe in the Big Bang Theory is that the universe, that within the first three minutes after the Big Bang, 98% of everything that ever was and ever will be was created in less than three minutes. So understand that science is believing a miracle as well. And that is 100% a view that people hold, and it is respectable, and it is uh, some of you in this room hold it. And those of you that disagree oftentimes will say, well, then Genesis 1 and 2, that means they disagree with each other. And in fact, many atheists have pointed out that, that because the Bible contradicts itself, the, the, the Genesis chapter 2 is different than Genesis chapter 1. I don't know if you've heard this before, but therefore the Bible is not inerrant, and therefore we can't believe it. The view, by the way, doesn't hold much water when you look at chapter 2 and realize that it looks more like that he is actually saying this is a description of the sixth day. A little slide for you. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, Adam is created. Sixth day, Garden of Eden is created. Description of the river systems in Eden, 10 through 14. 
uh, garden given instructions, verses 15. If you look at that as a view of the sixth, uh, sixth day, then it doesn't uh, contradict each other at all. And so that is a view that people hold that is all around the world. That, you would, that would be the view you would encounter if you go to the Creation Museum in Kentucky. There's another view that is chapter 1 and 2. By the way, that is creation ex nihilo. That is a literal Adam and a literal Eve. And it is the goodness of creation. The song of creation is one that you might hear from someone like a Tim Keller. Uh, many in the, the PCA crowd would, would subscribe to this. And they would say that chapter 1 and chapter 2 are actually two different accounts of the same story. And it's very congruent with Scripture. Exodus 14 and 15, the story of the Exodus is one chapter, literal account. The next one is Miriam's song, a song about it. Judges 4 and 5, the song of, uh, it's the story of the armies of Israel defeating the armies of, of Sisera. And Judges 4 is a literal account of it, and Judges 5 is a song about it. And when you look at those, they see it's repetitive. It's like we sang this morning, say the name, say the name, say the name. It's a song, it's repetitive. You say it over and over. And so you don't look to the song and think, is that literal? In, in Judges 5, when Deborah says, the stars came on our behalf. Does that mean that stars came down, or is he speaking in metaphor? So when you look to Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, what they would say is that Genesis 1, very repetitive, in the evening and the morning, in the evening and the morning. It's like the battle of the Edmund Fitzgerald. It's just a song, in the evening and the morning. And it's repetitive, and it's over. And it tells the story of a, of a creation in song, and then they would say that chapter 2 is a uh, literal accounting of that. that Adam was That's what they would say. And it, again, does say still that Adam was literally created. Eve was literally created using two different techniques. It says creation ex nihilo, out of nothing. And it leaves room for the fact that there is, which is what some of these kind of tie together. The third one is what is called the gap theory. And I'm kind of making up names for these because there's different whatever schools of it. But the gap theory is this. Genesis 1, in the beginning the earth was formless and without void. And in the Hebrew, David, I hope this is right, David's a pastor. Tohu va'avohu is the Hebrew word for formless and without void. Okay? And what it says is the world, when it was created, was created formless and without void. Isaiah 45, 18 is a scripture that says, in the beginning, the earth was not created. Tohu va'avohu. So, is Genesis wrong or is Isaiah 45, 18 wrong? Or are there billions of years between verses 1 and 2? Is, is what happened between verses 1 and 2, what is alluded to in Ezekiel 28 and Isaiah 14, what is alluded to when Jesus says, Behold, I, I beheld you fall like lightning from heaven. And that what happened at creation of the world is that there's billions of years. And if you think about it, if God is infinite, what was he doing for a trillion years before we came along? But between verses 1 and 2, if that's possible, then what happened, again, the record shows that this, you know, the, the humans are very recent on the scenes, that at that point that God created the heavens and the earth and that this is a recreation of, of the earth. And we are put into this earth. And that is, once again, creation ex nihilo. It's not that we were created by evolution, humans. It's not that uh, God created us out of something. It's a literal Adam. It's a literal Eve. And it is a view that many hold the last view that uh, I wanted to share with you, and I would encourage you to do the work on this, there's a guy named Dr. Hugh Ross, who's a cosmologist who came to Jesus as a teenager, and he is a cosmologist and astronomer, studied at Stanford and Caltech. Dude is smart. 
By the way, not funny on Twitter. I'm going to tell you that right now. I've tried to make a couple funnies, and he didn't get it. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry, doctor. I was actually I was complimenting you. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> the smart gene means you have to sacrifice the funny gene, as best I can tell. But, but Hugh, Hugh's idea is this. He came to Christ reading Genesis as a teenager who was already a budding astronomer. Not a Christian, not even surrounded by Christians. A Canadian young man, yes, represent the Canadians. Came to Christ because he's reading this and he says, it's immediately obvious to someone who's never read the text that the word day has four different meanings in the word Hebrew and they actually use three of them just in the first two chapters. That the word day in Hebrew is the word yom, Y-O-W-M. And the word yom could mean a literal 24-hour period. It could mean from noon to three. And you look throughout scripture, you see that. Noon, especially in the sacrificial system, for between noon to three, it's referred to as a day. So a literal 24-hour period. It could mean from noon to, to, to three in the afternoon. It could mean just the daylight hours of, from day sunup to sundown. And it can also mean a, a, a finite period of time. And as he was coming to read these things and realizing that thousands of years before scientists would have remotely thought that something could be created from nothing, that Genesis said that, and he came to Christ, and to this day is an evangelical believer. His website, reasons.org, he is reaching scientists, physicists, chemistry. He actually led the 1996 uh, Nobel Peace Prize winner in chemistry to Christ based on this kind of information because it, it squared with Scripture. And what Hugh would go on to say is that the fossil record, somewhere between 15 and 30,000 years ago, up until that year, species created, if you look in the fossil record, every year there's a species created, if you believe in an old earth. Every year there's a new species. 30,000 years ago, no more new species. Nothing. Speciations stopped. There's a break in the fossil record that coincided with humans. He goes and shows, which is brilliant, that the last ice age ended 12,000 years ago. And at the end of the last ice age, water would have become more abundant on earth. And it means that the land bridges between the Bering Strait getting to Australia. So when he goes to Genesis and talks about the dividing, Peleg divided the nations, it was easy. It makes total sense. He shows, this is brilliant, that when you're looking for Eden, the reason we can't find it is it's underwater. Because in the Persian Gulf, and you can still see in Saudi Arabia, uh, satellite images from where the last ice age had cut rivers that flowed together into one in what is now under the waters of the Persian Gulf. Four rivers came together in the Garden of Eden. It totally squares with history and it totally squares with science and the Bible doesn't say anything that contradicts any of that. And by the way, what I'm telling you this morning, you might think, well, this is just talks about a God, but how do I know that our God is the right one? Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, all have in their accounts of creation, all have in their accounts of life, beginning, stuff that contradicts with what science is saying. Only Christianity, only the God of the Bible doesn't. And by the way, if you're thinking, but it does say days, understand, that's a, this is an English problem. It's not a Hebrew problem. We have lots of words that deal with periods of time, decades and weeks, and, but yet you look through the, the, the day, a finite period of time, the day of Noah, in the day of the Lord. Are they a literal 24-hour period, or are they a period that has a beginning and an end? And one of the things that Dr. Ross suggests is that the seventh day doesn't have an end. At Isaiah 95, John 5, 
Isaiah, Psalm 95, Hebrews 4, John 5, all allude to the fact that we're still in a seventh day with God. No more new creation. Nothing else has been created. It allows for creation ex nihilo, something out of nothing. A literal Adam, a literal Eve, and the goodness of creation. And by the way, for those of you that think, yeah, but when death came into the world when man sinned, it doesn't seem to hold water with that. That's what I thought too. But when I reread those scriptures in Romans and in 1 Corinthians, it's very specific that death in man happened before. It, the text leaves wide open to the idea that plants would have died before. It leaves wide open that. Now, we could debate it or not, but I'm just saying the text doesn't contradict it. So you can look at that and think that whether it's in Romans or 1 Corinthians, that both those passages talk specifically about the death of man. And when, what did it say? When you eat the tree in this day, you will surely die. What kind of death? We have to even go down that road. What kind of death are we talking about? Because they ate the fruit on that day and they died, but they didn't die. Literally, they died spiritually. So the text is wide open to this. And I wanted to bring this to your attention because the world has made this a us versus them. And I'm telling you that the God, the more that I have studied and learned and, and read, that the more I realized that the only logical explanation is that there is a creative designer that exists outside of our time domain. And next week I'm going to talk about the fine-tuning of the universe. We're used to the four uh, height, width, depth, time, the four dimensions, that science now, the only way they can, literally, the only way they can account for things they're finding in this large hadron uh, collider is that there have to be ten dimensions, right? So you guys watching Stranger Things? Where do you think that came from? <laughs> that's a literal scientific thought that's been proffered that there are more dimensions. So imagine a God so powerful that he exists outside of all ten of them. Created space and time. That's a good question, isn't it? Talk about that next week. Which one do I believe and why? That's a good question, isn't it? I believe any theory that represents so beautifully the how that we of the gospel in our hearts. That we get so caught up in the how that we sometimes forget the why. You see, in the beginning, if it was good, and it wasn't tohu va bohu. In the beginning, man was not tohu va bohu, but enemy. Behold, I fell and fall like lightning from heaven to the earth. That the enemy moved into the hearts of man, and we became tohu va bohu. That we became dark. But the Spirit of God hovered over us individually. The word hover is one that is easy to miss. It's a dramatic, a beautiful personification of who the Holy Spirit is. It's not like a gas or a fog floating over the water. It's a, the only other time that word is used in Scripture is used in reference to a bird brooding over her chicks and over her eggs, calling them out. The Spirit of God hovered over the waters and moved upon your hearts. And when the water, the water, the word, you heard it, your life became alive inside, and God separated the night from the day. And in the picture of creation is such a beautiful creation of what Jesus did in us. And it's a picture, I believe, of what happened to Jesus in order for it to happen to us. Because Jesus, what is the only other book of the Bible that begins within the beginning? Book of John. In the beginning, the Word became flesh. How is it that God could speak and that the Word put something into existence? His Word was a person. It's Jesus. And Jesus came and he went to the cross. And was made 
The Spirit of God hovered over him. Remember, he came up out of baptism. What was it that appeared above him? The bird, the Holy Spirit, hovered over him. But on the cross, he was decreated. He was deconstructed. He was made tohu vohu so that we would not have to be. The one who created matter became matter. The one who was invisible became visible because of the void, the tohu vavohu in your heart and in my heart can't be filled with materialism. I can get as many, many more things and if you've been on that road, you know that it doesn't work. Or you go the opposite and you go, I'm gonna be good and I'm gonna try harder and I'm gonna stop doing this and that doesn't fill the void either. The void is filled when you hear him say to you, the, hub, the spirit of God hovering over you, drawing and you finally listen and you hear him say to you, as your life has been made clean, and you are very good. Jesus was deconstructed that we might be constructed. He was unmade that we might be remade. And when you look at the picture of creation as a planet that was created, that was made dark by an enemy, by a fallen uh, Satan and his angels, that now Jesus steps into this and becomes on the cross, tohu vavohu, on our behalf and if you don't feel that this morning, if you still feel that void, would you listen to what Jesus is saying to you this morning? That he wants to recreate you. What does the scripture tell us? That behold, in Christ, all things, old things are passed away. All things have become new. That he steps into your life to fill it with the only thing, which is the song of creation. When we sing literally what we're singing, we're joining in the song of, of creation, which is a song of you are good. God, you are so good. And his response to us, that in Christ and because of Christ and only because of Christ, you are good. I've made you good. In fact, I've made you very good. And so I would say that from my view of it, we could get caught up in the was it six literal days, whatever. I, I love this idea that the earth had existed and that God spoke it into existence and then the enemy, when he threw them from heaven, ruined the earth. But because of that, then God came and hovered over the waters and recreated us. It 100% squares with science. It 100% squares with the Bible. And here's the most important thing. It 100% squares with your heart, making your heart new again. Stand to your feet, because we are rapidly running out of time. But I want to ask you that. Do you believe it? Do you believe that he died on the cross for you, that he lived the life you should have lived, died the death you should have died? If you believe that, you believe that he died in your place, and what you're really believing is that he can look at you and say, you're good. The goodness of creation. And it's important because you need to hear that so badly. Everything we try to do to stuff it with materialism or even religion is literally an attempt to try to fill the tohu vavohu in our own hearts. And it'll never be filled that way. It's only going to be filled believing that deep, deep, deep inside of us. I want to pray for you and ask if you haven't believed that yet or you've been on the fence about believing that. 
if, if maybe the Spirit is hovering over you this morning, that you would answer that call and let him make you new inside. And for those of you that are still on the fence, because you know, we don't, this isn't quite enough, do the work. Never shipwreck your faith on the questions. Find the answers and let the chips fall where they may. The more you seek truth, I've found it in my own life that the more it points to the Creator, not away from the Creator. So Father, I, I'm praying for my brothers and sisters here this morning. For those of us that have a faith already in you, I pray that our faith is made stronger. For those of us that are, are sitting on the fence and just unsure about it, I pray that this morning that we would listen to the, the, the hovering of the Spirit over our lives this morning, allowing you to be new, making us new inside and infiltrating our own hearts today, that we would receive and, and be open to that this morning, believing that you died in our place. And this week, Lord, as the world seems to be spinning, we know that you've got it all under control and we can see it just in these moments of creation that you, from the very beginning of time, had your finger on us. You called us before the foundations of the earth. And we thank you for that. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.